Welcome to the first ever How I Fucked Up podcast edition. We like to bring in outside marketing professionals and leaders to tell stories of of failure and lessons learned along the way, with the idea being that everyone makes mistakes from time to time, and that's okay, because we learn and we grow and we prosper. So I'm very excited to welcome a distinguished guest, a friend of mine, Melissa Heron. Um, I'm really excited because Melissa's done a lot of different uh, amazing things in her career, worked with a lot of different agencies, big and small, everywhere from DDB to I worked at a small boutique shop called HL2 back in the day. She's had director of marketing positions. She's had director of media positions. She's she's basically like seen it all. And now I would consider you more of an entrepreneur at this point, if that's mm-hmm. accurate. And so, you know, she's seen a lot, she's done a lot, and she's probably fucked up a lot. So uh, I'm very excited to have her here today to to talk to us. Well, thank you for having me. As Andrew said, I'm Melissa, used to be Yannick for many, many years um, until I married my husband, Sean, and became Melissa Heron. And I say that because as a woman uh, who very much had the the focus of her adult life beyond building a career, uh, changing my name was something that was a really big deal at the time because so I had so much equity in my maiden name and who I was growing up in the ad world as Melissa Gannick. So yes, I have worked at uh, agencies big and small. I created a career um, coming out of college. To be totally honest with you, probably the biggest, you know, the first time that I can say I truly look back and, and made some pretty big mistakes was not being serious in college about what I wanted to do when I grew up. I had a lot of fun in college. Grades were just something that I I needed to maintain for my father's sake. And so I graduated without a real clear direction on what I wanted to do and got into advertising. I literally stumbled into it. My first job out of college was with McCann in Atlanta, um, working on General Motors in the media department. And I learned a ton. I can tell many stories of how I made colossal mistakes and probably uh, would have lost my job if I wasn't getting paid peanuts and uh, doing the work of about 25 different people. Uh, but it it definitely paved that experience at McCann paved a path in a career for me um, that lasted over 25 years. Um, I've worked, as Andrew said, at gosh, you name a holding company, I've worked for them. Um, I've, I learned what it was like to burn the midnight oil and work, you know, crazy hours on amazing projects across a number of different clients. And I think the biggest takeaway for me as Andrew and I were talking yesterday about, you know, the spirit of the podcast and why you would even have me and what what words of wisdom I can can shed to, you know, all of you that are taking the time out of your day to listen to me. The the biggest, you know, piece of advice or area where I look and say I can actually shed some light is when it comes to being a working female in an industry that's so male dominated. You know, we look at the the marketing and ad world right now and things have gotten so much better. Like I can share my many me too stories if you you have time for them um about being a a woman in an in an industry that just um generally hadn't had very many women you know, stay for a significant period of time. I mean, you think about, you you get a lot of junior women in the door, but when you think about 
senior level women, it's very rare to see 45 plus year old woman in an ad agency, um, especially when I was when I was coming, you know, coming out of college and and going through my career. And so, when I got to a place of you know really having to make that hard choice between, am I going to stay in this world that is demands so much of you, or you know commit to being a mom? I had to make some pretty um, pretty big decisions and. And I had a mentor say to me once, which I think is really probably the best advice that I've gotten. And I'm not really good at this, but it's something that sticks with me all the time is that in order for you to be successful as a as a mom and a partner and, you know, in as a caregiver in your life in any capacity, you need to have boundaries. You're never going to have balance. And the interesting thing, I mean, Andrew, I'm sure you see this, the ad world isn't kind to the idea of balance or boundaries, right? I mean, we are at the beck and call of clients on a regular basis, and that is the core to our business, right? Like we can't say, oh, sorry, clients, we aren't going to do the turn around this deck or make edits to this piece of creative or respond to this RFP because life doesn't allow me to do this right now. You have to. And so it becomes one of those things that you ask yourself every day around how do you create boundaries and how do you, when can you have balance and when do you lean in and, and, you know, work the 80 hour work week or when do you lean out? And, um, you know, along the way, I've definitely made my fair share of poor choices, even in those times of saying like, I'm not going to lean into this thing and, you know, pissing a client off or running the risk of maybe not putting that final push into an RFP response and not winning the work. You know, I remember being eight months pregnant at two in the morning making copies because this was back in the day when you still made handouts to go into a pitch room and thinking to myself, like, it's two in the morning and I'm eight months pregnant and I don't want to be here. And, you know, setting that expectation, like sometimes the biggest way you can fuck up is to continue to set an unrealistic expectation of yourself, like to continue to to show up in a way that is just unsustainable and that you end up letting yourself down and letting your team down when the reality hits that you can't deliver at that you know, at that speed or at at that level on a cons- on a day to day basis, and so, you know, I spent a vast majority of my career trying to figure out how to balance everything, how to be good at life, how to be good at my to continue to be good at my job, to continue to grow my career. I had I, my the moment I knew I was going to leave the ad world was I was supposed to fly out on a Monday morning to. Um, go to a series of meetings in New York. And on Sunday, as I was running around with my two little kids trying to get my life situated so that I could leave, I slipped and fell and broke my wrist in my kitchen and still managed to go to the grocery store with a broken wrist and all of that before I was like, there's something actually wrong. I probably need to go get my my wrist x-rayed. And I remember calling my boss and saying, they're not like they told me I can't fly because they couldn't cast it. They had to wait. They had it splinted. They're like, you have to wait. Swelling goes down, whatever. And my boss being like, what do you mean you can't? 
you're not getting on a plane. And I was like, I can't get on a plane. I like literally the doctor's like, you can't get on the plane until you have a cast on it. And that's going to be like seven to 10 days. And having that moment of like, I have a broken bone in my body and you're giving me shit for not being able to get on a plane the next day. And that was the moment of like, this is just not going to be where my career continues to grow. And it was really hard because that was, I mean, I was the managing director of the Seattle office here. It was at that point that I decided I was going to go in-house. And that's that was a really hard decision. And I still, like going back to the whole how I fucked up, I'm like, I don't know if I made the right decision in doing that. I did for my family, but for my career, I don't know. I don't know if that was what I should have done. I don't know if I should have figured out how to get on the plane. And there's a piece of me that at 30, I probably would have done it. Right. Like, <laughs> well, it's it's kind of a, it's a weird, this business is, creates this weird sickness, right? Because it's it's a surface, service business. So yeah. it's like, yeah, you're built that way. And I think that most people are good people and they want to deliver yeah. for their employees and for their clients. And so you get push, push to these certain extremes, like the 2 a.m. making copies, while pregnant, yeah, uh, the trying to fly with a broken wrist. You know, I told you about my friend that was at on a pitch till four in the morning and had like a medical procedure three hours later, and she was still there. And it's just, it's really, yeah, it's unfortunate that we it takes us going to these extremes to realize that okay, I got to figure something else out, right? Yeah, whether that is. means leaving the business entirely or just or just setting boundaries, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, I think it's where we're seeing this whole idea of quiet quitting right now. Because people have hit this wall of, I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to leave my job. Right. Um, but I can't give any more than I'm giving. And and all too often, I mean, I think that's the beauty of of Copacino. It always has been because it's a you know it's a privately run company. You have the ability to to keep in mind that you have people who are working for you every day, that you have individuals that have families and lives and things that matter. But to your point, I think the hard thing of being in leadership, and this was a big eye-opener for me, um, and one of the ways that I have not fucked up in my career is I've always valued the people that have worked for me. I would walk through fire for my teams, and anybody that's been on one of my teams will will tell you that. They're like family. They're, a lot of these people were like kids to me. I would do absolutely anything for them, but a lot of these bigger companies, your hands are tied, right? right? So there's no, so going back to me being an entrepreneur, leaving leaving the ad world, I went to Microsoft. I was at Microsoft for about two and a half years. At least the thing I would say about the ad world and one of the reasons why I always, will always question if I shouldn't, shouldn't have stayed longer is there's a beauty to culturally the ad world in that you and your team are kind of all in it together, right? And so there's this camaraderie that gets built and this uh, these relationships that get built because you're in it together and it's you against a client, right? <laughs> um, and you you create this magic and you make this work and you, you, your ability to be able to, you know, if you're an account person, service that client and establish a relationship and really grow a business because you get to understand what they're, business challenges are and what's keeping them up at night and what is making them fearful in their job and helping to solve for that or if creative really being able to solve for that that business challenge in a creative way all of those things bring you know bring people together and they establish relationships and it makes you as a human want to get up and go to work every day because you like the people that you're working with 
and there's a, a variety of work that you're doing. And there is, you know, there are going to be good days and there's going to be bad days. There's going to be days where you totally F up and you're like, I froze in that pitch and I totally went off script and I completely didn't do what I was supposed to do. And then there are days you're going to walk in and slam dunk it and be like, oh my God, yes, I totally killed it. But you always have the support of your team. And being in a place like Copacino, you guys have control over what that looks like for people and your ability to make that happen. At a big enterprise like Microsoft, you're just, you're pushing paper, right? You're like a cog. You're, you're yeah. a cog in the wheel. And you're oftentimes forced. I was a director, so I had a team of 12 people under under me between vendors and full-time employees, um, 11 of which I had one guy, 11, 11 were women. Um, all fairly, most of them were new moms, like in their early 30s, mid, you know, midway through their career with kids at home and the pandemic hit. And the decisions that I was forced to make as a manager based upon the criteria that was coming down from leadership was just, it was not okay. And I watched a whole generation of women get burned out and decide to leave. And so I left Microsoft two years ago this month and started my company Wisdom, which is, you know, it's really focused on female retention in the workplace and helping women find the right path forward and understanding how to find cultures, you know, in organizations that are going to help them be able to be successful in, you know, in work and in life. And I'll be the first to say when I, I mean, I've worked with over 200 women over the past two years across the country, some in other countries as well. But when you like what you do and you like the people you do it with, you don't care if you work a 60-hour work week because right. you want to roll up your sleeves and be there for your team. It only feels exhausting when you don't, you're not valued, you don't, you're not seen, and you don't feel like the work that you're doing matters, right? But yeah, it's been... It's been a journey. And I mean, I sometimes think my husband could probably tell you a million ways that I fucked up <laughs> even more with some of the decisions that I make to, may have made to get here. But, you know, you learn from all of them. For sure. Well, and I wonder if, because it took you to the extremes, some of the extremes to leave, to leave advertising, to leave some of these yeah. positions, were there ever like other things is there a fuck up in not listening to your inner voice at any of these points where it was like, yeah, maybe maybe my gut is telling me this isn't right, but then you still stayed? Yeah, I think so. I can't speak for every woman out there. I can speak for at least the generation that I come from. In Gen X, women, especially women in the workplace, you if you show up with an opinion and a voice and you push back, you're a bitch. Right. Period. And um, growing up in New Jersey and right outside of New York City, when I first migrated to Seattle, I had to take I had several employers who sent me through interpersonal communications classes because I was too direct. Right. I needed to smooth over those rough corners that the rough, the pointy elbows that I had in a room. Um, at, point, at what point in your career was this? Oh my gosh. It was when I was at Avenue A. Yeah. It was like 2001. It was here though. Yes. It was here. It was in- oh, I was going to say, like, I'm sure coming to Seattle, especially during that time was a culture clash, right? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Still, it's still very, I mean, I spent 10 years in the Midwest and 
it's different in the Midwest than it is here. Yeah. It's, it's not New York, but it's still people. It, yeah. It's a lot harder to get people to say they mean here. Sometimes, yes. Right. Yeah. And so going back to your trusting your gut and did I make, I made so many mistakes with not speaking up sooner and not one of the things that I've learned through, you know, just maturity and life experience is that no manager. And if you've got people that are listening that are younger in your career, this is the some of the best advice I can give you. No manager at any company wants you to continually bring the problem to the table without a solution, right? And I think that's a big challenge. Early on in my career, I would, if, you know, if you gave me a microphone, I would have told you all the things that was wrong with a company, right? Here are all the things that are wrong with the company, but do I really have any solutions and what part am I playing in it? How can I help remedy the situation? So that's one area that like over time I've looked back and been like, shit, I was... I was a constant in a lot of this, and I could have been more open. I could have met people halfway, right? A lot of times when you get to the point of you know frustration in your job, it's because you have an inner monologue of all the things that you feel like you're being wronged by, or you're not getting paid enough money, or you're not you're doing so-and-so's job and they're not really pulling their weight. You have all of your excuses, but you don't really have any solutions and you're not really willing to reflect on what could I be doing better or what maybe is this other person going through that I could, you know, help bring the solution that can help alleviate a lot of these issues. But the other big piece of it is is just even speaking up, mm-hmm. right? When something didn't feel right or when it was like, you know, I need to sit down with my boss and hammer this out because I'm not willing to leave the job that I'm at right now. I was the person that would push through. And then when I hit the wall and I hit and I hit it hard, I was out, right? And while I don't have any regrets, right? Because I do believe you are you end up where you're supposed to be and like, you know, all of your fuck ups, like I completely believe in fuck ups. Like even with my teams, I'm always like, give people as much rope as you can to let them hang themselves because you learn more from your mistakes than you'll ever went than you'll ever learn from your successes. But man, do I wish I spoke up more. Mm. Right. Early on. Uh, early, early on. on. Yeah. yeah. And, and bringing solutions. Don't just bring the problem. Like why didn't I sit down and have those like, conversations instead it, of lighting the building on fire as we left left. Was it harder to <laughs> Funny, I remember Avenue A from like back in the day, mm-hmm. early Seattle digital days, right? Yeah. Was it harder to give people that rope at like a bigger company? Or because one of the one of the things that's kept me coming back for so long, I've been a couple, you know, nine years was like twice as long as I've ever been anywhere, mm-hmm. is that there is so much empowerment here for everybody. Like you get to be in the meeting with the client, you get to fuck up, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so I'm just curious at a bigger company, like what was that like for people? Oh no, it's people? really, it's really hard, but like in full transparency in the spirit of of fucking up and i don't think this was a fuck up i will i would like this is one of the the hills that i would die on is i went to bat for my team and got my hand slapped a lot because you don't you're not empowered it is there is a chain of command that you're supposed to follow um and as a director i was supposed to be the person in the room with the cmo and the cvp to do the presentation of whatever it was that you know, the campaign that we were going to launch. And I am to this day, a big believer that the only way somebody's going to learn 
to pitch to a CMO or a CVP is to put them in the room and have them pitch to a CMO and CVP, right? right? Totally. And I had several instances where I had people on my team that I pushed it through anyway, despite my GM being really pissed. Like, no, you're not. You need to be, you need to do this. And I'm like, I'm going to be in the room. I'm not going to, there's always going to be a safety net. I will be there to help them if they flounder, but you can't. I will rehearse with them. I will prep them, but you can't take that away from them. They're, they're not, you're not going to learn if you don't put someone in the room. But I've had that happen at every big company, agency and in-house, right? It is the fear of what's going to happen if this person who's younger screws up. And the reality is nothing, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like nothing, nothing's going to happen. I mean- I have seen so many CMOs give grace to ju- more junior people in the room and an appreciation for an agency giving someone that exposure than, than not, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so rare. I think CVPs, CMOs, the C-suite get pissed at the director level because they expect more from you. But bringing somebody in that's more junior, that's learning, that's there to have that learning experience, I have yet in 25 years to see anyone be an asshole to a younger person in the room. Seen that's a, nice to hear. I'm like, I see a lot of people be assholes to more senior people, right? right? But I have, not, have yet to see it happen to somebody who's come in and been like, usually give people grace. I love that. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. But no, I, every company I've had to fight for that. It's, I remember being at another agency here in town that's still around. So I won't say who it was, but I had a kid on my team who did amazing work. And we had this big trip to London to pitch to the client. And they were like, the agency's like, we're not paying for so and so to go. And I was like, well, then I'm not getting on the plane because he, he's been here, you know the past three weeks working 60 hours to get this part of the presentation done. And he owns it. He knows the data inside and out. I'm not going if if you're not paying. I get over it because this is, and he went and he nailed it and the client loved it. And like he went on to do amazing things on that piece of business. But yeah, it's just, there's no growth mindset out there. (laughs) Hopefully there is it at Copacino. Well, that's that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. For sure, and that's and that's part of why we we love talking to people like you because you can you can share your stories of wisdom to pass along to our people, no matter how long you've been in the business. Like any good podcast, I thought it would be good to do some ads. So here's a live read for one of Copacino Fujikato employees' favorite lunch restaurants. At Maize, corn is life, and the rest is just details. What's amazing about Maize? Their tortillas. The taste is just something else. That's before you even get into the protein or veggie innards. It's all due to their traditional corn nixtamalization process. They've got gorditas, tamales, tacos, so much more. I get something different every time I go. It's no wonder they were named one of the 100 best Seattle restaurants by Seattle Met in 2023. Get corn directly from Mexico to your mouth at Maize. Two locations, at Pike Place Market near the original Starbucks and Maize Molino near the Amazon Spheres. And now, back to fucking up. You know, I could ask you for some specific client fuck-up stories, but I feel like you have such a breadth of knowledge. I'd rather ask you if you have other bits of advice for for the youngs out there that that you've learned from your, from your career besides like, you know, speaking up and bringing solutions 
with, along with problems? Any anything else that comes to mind? Um, if you don't like working long, hard hours, but also playing hard and having an amazing time, it, the agency world is not for you. Like one thing I've learned about agency life, and I'll be honest, like again, I've been out, I've been out of the agency world now since 2019, and I still miss it every day because it's almost like a like an addiction or something. It's, like I said, it's like a sickness. Right? <laughs> it is. It is. There is a, such an amazing, just magic that happens in any agency. Like, I mean, everyone has a different culture. All of them operate differently. Clients can dictate so much of that. But agency life is just something that I can say you will always remain at the forefront of the industry, the marketing industry working at an agency because it's your job to be two steps ahead of the client at any given time. But that means that you are going, you're in, right? right? You're in. And so we, going back to boundaries versus balance, you, you have to create your own kind of spidey sense of knowing like, this is the scenario where I can't, like, I got to skip my workout class tonight because I can't, <laughs> I can't tell the client, Oh, sorry. Like, we're going to, we'll get that to you on Friday. Like you have to get really good at knowing when you have to lean in and when you have to lean out. But like, I was also a really big proponent of, I just busted my ass to get that thing out the door when Wednesday at five o'clock, peace out. You're not going to see me for the next two days. (laughs) Like I'm going to go burn off some steam and then I'll be back in, you know, the following week. But it's really hard to it's the work hard, play hard mentality, but yeah. you see the impact, right? You see what you actually deliver to a, to a company and the business that you grow and the relationships that you build, but you're also going to see your soul go out the window, right? Like you work hard at an agency because you know that the work you're doing makes a difference. It, it matters to someone at, you know, on the other end. But yeah, I would say be eyes wide open about what you want to do in your career and, you know, there's agency world's not for everyone, right? right? Um, it's not for everyone throughout your whole career, correct. right? Correct. Yes. I hope, I mean, I do, Andrew, really hope. This is another area where I oftentimes wonder if I'm, I, I should have stayed in it longer that because I'm so driven to really keep more women in the workplace, like, should I have left? Should I have pushed through to create an agency environment that would allow for more women to be able to show up in the way that they want to show up? Because it's, I I think, I think we can have, like, we can have working moms who can be successful. It's going to be rethinking the model a little bit Mm. because it's, we're never going to change. We're always at the mercy of the client. Right. That's never going to change. But I think that there's opportunity to rethink how it happens at agencies and and having a world where, you know, people can work in different ways and show up in different ways and have it be a more fully inclusive world where we're not in this place of, a bu- no offense, but a bunch of middle-aged white men who are running um, the agency Maybe. world. Yeah. Uh, so my question is, do you think that the pandemic and, and everyone doing their thing, putting everything, everyone on the same level, you know, kids pop in and all that stuff. Has that helped? Do you think working moms in terms of, it do has. you think that companies going forward will be more open to something more flexible? They're going to have to be where I think we're going to see. So we saw 
coming out of the pandemic, we were at the same numbers we were in 1988 in terms of women in the workplace. We had gone completely back, you know, several <laughs> generations, several decades. Uh, going into what this, whether whether we're going to say we're going into a recession or whatever it might be right now, we're seeing those numbers go back to where they were pre-pandemic, but that's not by choice. So I think what's going to happen is once we see the economy stabilize, right? Whatever that looks like going into 2024, I think you're going to see a lot more women leave the workplace again, which is unfortunate, right? And it, because you're seeing companies the employers have the power back right now. Mm-hmm. And so they're dictating, like, you need to come back to the office. You need to do these things. And I'm a big believer that just for an inclusive work environment in general, not just for working moms, people should be allowed to work in a way that works for them because, you know, some people get more work done. I saw a poll on LinkedIn today where it was like 80% of people that took this poll were saying that for like your day-to-day busy work, you're more productive at home, which it does, it makes complete sense. Like there's no water cooler interruption. There's no, like you can be heads down and crank through your work. There is a beauty to coming to the office. There's a beauty to having those connections, especially in the agency world. But I think it needs to be, you have to be thoughtful in what you're using that purpose for. Like, why are you bringing people together? What does that look like? Right. Otherwise, no, it's not like the pandemic all the pandemic did was show us that we could work mm-hmm. in a completely different way. And be successful. And be successful. Yeah. Make money, make companies tons of money. There's absolutely no reason why you have to be in a physical office space. And so you're finding that, and it's not just working moms. I mean, we are the first, we are the first sandwich generation that a lot of people in the Gen X generation are working. They're, they have kids at home and they're dealing with ailing parents, right. right? And so it may not be, you may not have kids, but you may have to get your mom to chemo every week. It's like, you have to work in a way that works for you. Does it mean, I think the key for the generations that are coming up is you still have to show up and pull your weight, mm-hmm. right? Like I always tell my teams, it's like a, it's like a bank, right? You have to put in as much as you're taking out. I was, I'm not the manager that's going to Like, I wish we could have unlimited PTO, right? Don't make me come look for you when shit is due, right? right? Don't make me tell, like, and don't half-ass the work that gets done. Like, if you show up and you're a consistent high performer and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, I don't care if you're doing it from Cabo. Like, don't make me find you. That's what I would, don't make me come looking for you, right? Because it's not going to be a pretty conversation when I have to come look for you. But yeah, I think- coming out of the the pandemic changed everything. And the companies that recognize like, we're going to lean into this versus fight it are the ones that are going to be able to retain top talent. Everyone else is going to be scrambling once this whole, once the economy stabilizes, we're going to go back to the power being back to the employee. Well, it's sad that it took us a pandemic to realize some of these more (laughs) egalitarian ways, but we got to be glass half full sometime. I, I couldn't agree more. I think one of the things that can is a consistent theme right now and you know every trade journal's writing about it is this idea of emotional intelligence, right? This and we've anyone that's gone into a pitch with someone who has no emotional intelligence has experienced that moment of like, oh my God, they've lost the audience and they're not paying attention and you're so far off and you're like, rein it back in. You know, a lot of us fine tuning that ability the older we get. But I think that's an important thing for mentors to teach, you know, the ne- the next generation. Because I've seen a lot of people work at agencies where I've been like, 
you don't, you need to work smarter, not harder, right? Just because you're here every night till 10 o'clock, can this wait till Monday? Or is it something that really needs to get done? And early in your career, you're not going to always know that. And if you're an overachiever, you're going to be the person who stays here till 10 o'clock at night, and then you're going to be burned out. And really, the only person that's fault that is, is your own, because you don't know what needs to get done and what needs to be prioritized and what can wait, because there's always going to be balls that drop. But you need to lean into, you know, mentors and and um, your manager and, you know, leadership to help you to help you define that right and establish that ability because um it is it is something you need in the agency world or you'll you'll burn out fast i think modeling such a huge part of that too right i agree i'm a terrible 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 modeler <laughs> awful i fuck up all the time in that where i'm like i'm working ba- from vacation you should not do this <laughs> right. i'm working baking tra- you should not do this i'm like oh my god easy you to say yes. but yeah <laughs> i know yeah, mm-hmm. it is something that, but you, I mean, leadership, like your managers, we have to hold each other accountable to that, right? Right. Like get off your email, like, because it's just making you look like you're doing everything we're telling people not to do. Well, I feel like we could talk for like two more hours. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Melissa. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. And come upstairs, have a margarita with us. Sounds great. Be on the lookout for the next How I Fucked Up podcast. Coming soon to wherever you get your podcasts.